series of messages called Good Plans. And that uh, theme is important to us because to me, it's a message of hope that God has good plans for our life. So no matter what you might be going through right now, God is up to something. God has good plans for you. It might be that you're going through some difficulty or some hardships, and many times we get overwhelmed by those things and think, is there a God? If God was there, why in the world would he allow things like this to happen to me? And, and you've heard comments like that before, possibly, or you may even feel that way yourself. But what I'd like to say is this, that God has a plan for your life and is using what you're going through to help fulfill that plan for us because God is good in everything that he does. In fact, one of the scriptures, it's the focus scripture for this series is found in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. It was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was one of the main apostles that shared the message about who Jesus was, about his life, his death and resurrection to people after Jesus went back to heaven. He went from community to community, especially Gentile communities, which are communities that are not Jewish. That's what it means to be Gentile. Gentile communities telling people about Jesus, and many people were giving their life to Christ. He went to places like Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus, and, and even to the Roman community, he was reaching people there. But when people would give their life to Jesus and start talking about Jesus, Sometimes it wasn't accepted very well, and they were under persecution and hardships because of it. And many times it became very overwhelming and overbearing to them. So Paul wanted to encourage them. So he wrote a letter, and in that letter, this is what he said. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's the first scripture you'll find on your outline sheet. It says, and we know that in all things, how many things? In all things things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what the scripture just said is God's doing something good in everything that he's doing in all things. And he's doing it to accomplish his purpose. One of those purposes is that we know him. Another is that we praise him. In fact, let's write it. Actually, it's already on your outline sheet because we've been talking about it each week. I've shared with you what God's purpose is for us. It's this, for people to know the God who loves us personally and to lead us to rely on him, resulting in our praising him. So it might be that God, if you're, if you're not a Christian today, it might be that God is allowing some things to go on in your life to help you see that you can't do life alone and that you need God's help which would cause you to look to him, to have a personal relationship with him. It might be that you're not a Christian today and you've been trying uh, to find somebody who loves you even in your failures and your mistakes and you keep having these relationships that fall apart and you are just a mess because yet another broken relationship has happened. And we're here to tell you that God has a purpose to help you understand that God loves you no matter what. And when no one else will, God will, amen? that God loves you. So that might be what God is doing. You need somebody who actually loves you no matter who you are. It's called unconditional love. It's not dependent on your behavior. It's dependent upon him creating you and loving who he created. It might be that you're a Christian today and God is trying to help you grow to become more like Jesus. And the problem may be that you have taken control back of your life and you have tried to do it on your own. It happens as Christians. Do I have a witness out there from anyone, right? We try to do it on our own and we get ourselves in a mess and we realize we need God's help and God's allowing us to go through difficulty to turn back to him, to trust in him. Or it might be you're a Christian and God's allowing you to go through difficulty 
And he might be letting you go through difficulty, not because you need to become more like Jesus, but other people are watching your life and they see how you can face hardships with joy and people can't get over how you can face hardships and still be happy and joyous in your life. And it's winning them over. That might be the reason why God's doing what he's doing. There's a lot of reason God does what he does. We're learning this by looking at someone in the Old Testament, somebody who lived before Jesus came. That's the difference between New Testament and Old Testament, right? So in the Old Testament, you got all these people who lived and we learned so much about faithfulness and what it is to have a relationship and a connection with God through him, through them. Uh, the person that we're talking about is a him, it's Joseph. And Joseph was one of 12 sons born to a guy named Jacob. Jacob had these children through four different women. Things were different back then. And he had two wives, and those two wives had two maidservants, and these 12 children were born to those four ladies. Well, what was unique about Joseph was Joseph was the favorite son of all of them. And the reason why is because Joseph was the firstborn son to the only one of the ladies that he really loved. It was Rachel. So because he was born to her, he loved him the most and he treated him like he loved him the most in front of everybody else. Even to the point where he gave Joseph a really nice coat, a very colorful ornamented coat. He didn't give that to any of the other, other sons. It was only to Joseph. And Joseph flaunted it around. He wore it in front of everybody to, to let everybody know, I'm the favorite. He didn't say anything. Joseph, in this part of the story, he never talks about God, that God has made me the favorite person or God has given me abilities to do whatever. It, God's never even mentioned in Joseph's language and what he's talking about. It was all about himself. Well, as you can imagine, the brothers had a problem with this. They were ticked off at him. They were jealous of him. They hated him because of this. And if, it didn't make, if that wasn't bad enough, what made it worse was Joseph had a very unique talent and ability given to him by God. Again, he didn't say it was given to him by God, but he had this ability. He could interpret dreams. Well, he had a couple of dreams. So being the prideful person that he was, he goes to his brothers and say, hey guys, I had these two dreams. And then he tells them the interpretation of the dreams. Let me tell you the interpretations. I'm not going to get into the dreams. I talked about it before. Here's the gist of it. The interpretation of the dreams was one day, all of you guys are going to bow down before me. This caused a problem. Shocking, right? So now they hated him even more. So one day they're out in the fields tending the flocks Jacob sends Joseph out to check on them. They see him coming. They come up with a plan. Let's attack him, throw him in a hole, and sell him into slavery. And that's exactly what they did. They sold him to some Midianites. The Midianites, in turn, sell him to someone else, a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is an important figure in this story because Potiphar is on the administration of the king, of the pharaoh. He is the captain of the guard. Very important role that he has and he, he buys Joseph. So Joseph comes into his household and he begins to notice, Potiphar notices about Joseph that God is blessing everything that Joseph touches. Like he's successful in everything he touches. So he puts him in charge of everything. So everything is going awesome. Everything is swimmingly. It's just really wonderful. It's great. Until Potiphar's wife fancies Joseph. Because he's hot. Tim paraphrase. 
again. But the scripture said he was attractive. Okay, he was a good-looking guy. I mean, that's what the scripture says. And she wanted to have relationships with him, so she tries to get him in bed. He, she tries on multiple occasions, and he kept, keeps saying no, even saying, look, I'm not going to do this because if I do this, then I would be hurting Potiphar, whom I'm here to help succeed, and I'm not going to do that to him. And plus, even more than that, I would be sinning against God. What? God? When did God come into the picture? Isn't it amazing when you get thrown into a hole and sold in slavery that you might need God's help just a little bit, right? God put him in a position where, how are you gonna get out of this? What's your life about now? You have no control of your destiny, of where you're going or what's gonna happen to your life. And he knew that there was only one who did and it was God and he trusted in him. So much so that it became very personal to him. And I know it was personal to him because he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife because he didn't want to hurt his relationship that he had with God. He knew it would be wrong. So he chose to be faithful, even knowing, I would assume knowing, this might turn out bad for me if she starts talking about me, which is exactly what happened because one day he's in there. She says, come to bed with me. He says, no, he takes off. She grabs his cloak, piece of clothing, grabs his cloak and he leaves. And when Potiphar shows up to talk to his wife, his wife tells him, Joseph tried to take advantage of me. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Another Tim paraphrase, in case you were wondering, all right? She's lying about this. So Potiphar gets ticked, throws him in jail. We're all caught up to the story now, right? Now we're gonna talk about what happens next because he's in prison. And while he's in prison, God begins to bless everything that he does again. So let's read the scripture. Uh, you look on your outline sheet, uh, you can follow along. It's found in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. Joseph's master took him, that's Potiphar, took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. We're going to look, there's so much in what we just read, but also in what is going to happen further in the story that we're going to get to in just a few moments, right? Basically, what we're going to learn today is this, how we can make the most of every opportunity, that Joseph was making the most of the opportunities that he had. But y'all, it's very practical in nature because we can learn from what he did to see this is how I personally need to make the most of every opportunity. And we're gonna begin with number one on your outline sheet. We make the most of opportunities when this, number one, when I am the person God wants me to be. When I am the person that God wants me to be. Who does God want me to be? I'll give you the answer to that. God wants you to be, and he wants me to be, like him. We know what God is like. When you look in the New Testament, there's a guy named John who wrote another letter. And in 1 John chapter 4, John gave a definition of who God is. And it's only three words. God is love. That's who God is. So therefore, if I am going to live up to who God created me to be. I need to be love as God is love. What does that mean? 
That means in my character, who I am, in my very core of a being, I need to be loved. We learned about this last week. We learned that God uses circumstances to change our character from one that is not like God to one that is like God. And our character is described in one of two ways. We are either selfish, I'm a selfish person, it's all about me, I'm my own God, I'm the center of my world, it's all about what I want and desire, or I am selfless and I am willing to show love to other people, even making sacrifices for them to benefit other people. That is God, that's God's love, that's who we're supposed to be. So that's what he wants us to be. So what does it look like to be that kind of person? This is the other really interesting, just, just kind of Bible stuff here, okay, just, just for a second. This is the other really interesting thing about the New Testament, because in the New Testament, it gives us and explains to us how we can be like God. I think about Paul. I just used some scripture from Paul just a moment ago. Uh, remember, it's the Romans 8, 28. He, all things work together for good. Well, Paul was trying to help people understand who God is and what God is like. Okay, God is love, but what does it look like when God is love? If you've ever been to a wedding, you probably have heard this scripture quoted before. Love is, love is patient, love is kind, love is all those things that love is. All those things that love is, God is love. So if that is love, that means God is patient, God is kind, God is this, God is that, God is, and goes through all of these things. That's who we're supposed to be, to be like God, a God of love. Here's the other thing. God gives us his spirit, his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is that part of himself that comes in us when we become Christians to help us know the difference between what is right and wrong. We feel good, you know, we feel peaceful when we're doing the right things. We feel conviction when we're doing the wrong things. There's, a, there's something also that Paul wrote in the book of Galatians that talks about the fruits of the spirit. So the fruits of the spirit... Basically, God's spirit leads us to be like God. God is love. So the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and it keeps going on, right? So who I'm supposed to be is to be love. Jesus came to help me understand what that love looks like, and God gave us the word to pinpoint exactly what our behaviors are supposed to be. Now, why would I say all of what I just said? Because in this story, we hear a description of God's character. Listen to it. We find it in Genesis 39, verse 21. The Lord was with him. He showed him, what's the next word? Kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. It goes on. And now we're hearing his character described. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Here's the deal. As God is kind to Joseph and does something kind for him, we are to be like him and to be kind to others. So that's what we are. I am kind. So on your outline sheet, fill it in. Write in that simple statement. I am kind. I'm taking on a description of God's character. What does it mean to be kind? To be kind is this. It's to do something for the benefit of others. To help their lives be better. 
That's what it is to be kind. What did God do when he put Joseph in charge of these different situations? He was being kind to him. He was helping to develop Joseph. He was helping him to be who he created him to be. It was kind to help him be better. And that's what we're supposed to do for everyone around us. You know what Joseph did? Joseph was kind to Potiphar. And he was kind by not sleeping with his wife, which he could have done because he knew if he did that, he would have neglected Potiphar, whom he cared about and wanted the best for. And he would have turned his back on God. And now we see, not only was he kind to Potiphar and doing what he did for him to help him succeed, he was also the exact same way for the warden. He was kind to the warden. He did his best for the warden because he wanted the best for the warden. So that's my question, first of all, for all of us. Am I kind in everything that I do? Y'all, would the world be a better place if we were all just kind to each other? Do I have a witness out there from anybody? Amen? I am so sick and tired of people judging each other and being mean to each other. It's just really, it's annoying. Is it not? It just grates on me. It's just, can we just be kind? Because our judgment toward others doesn't change anybody. Our love for people who need to be changed does. That's what changes the hearts of people. And that's what Jesus did for us. Now, here's the other thing about it. Not only am I kind, but when we're kind, something happens. It's what happened with Joseph. When I'm kind, I am trustworthy. On your outline sheet, fill that in. I become trustworthy. He's given all these responsibilities that, hey, you are in charge of this. You're in charge of the prisoners. You're in charge of Potiphar. You're in charge of my whole household. We trust them. Why? Because we know that they have our best interest in mind. That's what we know. So for me to make the most of every opportunity, I need to be kind I need to do things to benefit other people where they'll trust me in order for them to hear a message that they need to hear. So is that my life every day? Because you see, that's what Joseph wanted to do. And that's who we're supposed to be. Here's the second thing that uh, when we live up to every opportunity, what we do, we're successful when I'm successful. I make the most of every opportunity when I am successful. We hear about success all the time. In fact, we hear about success even in this scripture that we just read a moment ago in verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him, what's the next word? Success. Gave him success in whatever he did. So why was he successful? Let me ask you a question. Who gave him success? The Lord gave him success. God gave him success. So let's write that down, okay? Because this is very, very important information. God gave him success. So my success is dependent upon what God does for me. This is a big thing about our, our society today because we are a society that lives for success. I want to be successful. I want to get more money or have more influence or have what, whatever it is. We want to be successful, And and then we'll say, we don't need God to be successful. I don't need God. Think about how Joseph was at the beginning. Dude, I don't need God. I'm the favorite child, dude. He loves me more than anybody. He gave me this coat. It's worth a lot of money. I've got money. I have wealth. I don't need God. Well, time out. Who caused you to be born into that family? Did you cause you to be born in that family? No. God put you in that family. God is the one 
who placed you in that family. Then we say things like this. Well, I get it, Tim. Hey, I didn't have any money. I was, you know, it was hard knocks for me, man. It was a tough, tough, tough situation. But you know what? I use my ability and my work ethic and my talents to make something of myself, and I've been successful. I don't need God. I made it on my own. Let me just ask a question. Who gave you your talents and abilities? Did you give you your talents and abilities? God gave you your talents and abilities. It's because of God that you're able to do what you do. It's God who opens up doors of opportunities for us to walk through so that we can experience success. It's God that once we walk through doors, he's the one who blesses what it is that causes it to multiply. You can go in one situation and do the same thing as you do in another situation. In one situation, there is nothing of growth. In the other situation, Things grow like crazy. Why? Because God has his hand and has blessed what you've done in that situation. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's God that we need for success. But although it's God that we need, to, need for success, we need to live up to who God created us to be. On your outline sheet, fill in this next statement. It says, he did, talking about Joseph, the best he could with his abilities. He was doing the best he could with his abilities. I know God's put me here in this situation. I'm gonna do my best with the abilities God has given me. But here's something very important that we need to learn about this. God also kept developing his abilities. Now, it's, it, it is obvious Joseph was a gifted leader. He was a gifted leader. He's put in a situation in Potiphar's house. Everything starts happening. God blesses what it is. He's a gifted leader. He's over the household. He's over all these people that work in the household. Obvious he's that way. Same thing in the warden situation. He goes, he's put in charge of all the prisoners. He's obviously gifted as a leader. But in each one of those situations, God was still helping him to grow to become a better leader. He had to be a better leader. Because one day, the family would be in a situation, his family who sold him into slavery, his family would be in a situation where they would need him who would one day be in a leadership position to be able to save his family. How's that for a teaser? I'm not gonna tell you what happened if you don't know the story. He wasn't where he needed to be yet. He developed him as a leader. Y'all, I, I, I'll just give you personal experience. God has done this in my own life. When I graduated from college, I went into the business world for three years. I was a marketing representative for a large corporate utility company. I was on that track of things were good, y'all. I mean, things were good. I mean, it really uh, looking up for Tim and Jennifer, all right, it really was. And then God calls me in the ministry. So we go to New Orleans, we go to seminary to get my master's degree. I come out of seminary and I take my first position in the church as a vocational minister, okay, being paid to be a minister. I'm a minister of music and youth at a small church in Gulf Breeze, Florida, which is a small community near the beach in Pensacola. That's where I am, about 200 people, 250 people in the church. It's great. Well, a year and a half later, the pastor re uh, retires, and I had been feeling that, you know, God is calling me to be a pastor. I feel like I, God wants me to be a pastor. So I gave my name to the search team, the team in the church that was gonna fill that role, to find the person to fill the role as the pastor. So I gave my name to them. And y'all, they didn't want me. It's like, do you not know Tim? 
I mean, seriously? How could you not want me? I'm 27 and know it all. That was the problem right there, okay? I was 27, thought I knew it all, I'm sure, and they didn't want me. And out of the blue, I didn't go looking for this. I just, out of the blue, I get a phone call from somebody that I knew years ago who was at a church, North Jacksonville Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. They needed a student pastor. And he called and asked me if I would come. So I did. I went to that position. I was put in, it was a large church. My, the student ministry was about the same size as the church that I left. The whole church, all right? That's how many students that, that were there. And I, I wasn't there long until I got it. It's like, oh, that's why I didn't need to be a pastor. I didn't realize how little I knew because I'd been placed under the leadership of a great pastor mentor in that church who gave me opportunities to preach. He gave me opportunities to uh, do baptisms and funerals and weddings and go to hospital visitations and all these things that I would have to do as a pastor that I had never done before thinking that I can do it all, right? Five years I was there. And y'all, when they turned me down at Gulf Breeze to not be the pastor, I had an attitude. I did. I was, I was frustrated. I was upset because they hadn't called me because I didn't, I didn't get it. But five years later, I completely got it. I wasn't the leader that I needed to be yet. And that might be what's going on in your life right now. You might be in a season of your life where God is teaching you something because he's developing you in certain ways to help you learn some things that you need to learn. And that's exactly what he did for Joseph. And one of the things that he did for Joseph, not only was to help him in his abilities, but he helped him understand the importance of his responsibilities, of his responsibilities. On your outline sheet, fill in this statement. He did the best he could, could do with the responsibilities that he was given. Here's what Joseph could learn from what he went through. That my life is about helping someone else be successful. Did you hear that? In the first situation with Potiphar, it's to help Potiphar be successful. In the second situation that he's in the warden, it's to help the warden be successful. God is teaching me something very important. It's not about me getting the attention for how great I am. It's about what God does to help me develop other people and help them be successful. Y'all, every leader has to learn that lesson. Every leader needs to learn that lesson. Because it's when we learn that lesson, it never becomes about us. It's always about the change and the difference that we can bring in the hearts and the lives of other people. To be who God wants them to be and leading people to Christ and to becoming like Jesus every day. But he got him ready. Third thing, uh, I make the most of every opportunity when I am observant. So we're gonna get into a new part of the story. So he is in the prison and he's put over all of these prisoners who are put in there and there are two guys that he meets because they're thrown in to jail. This is what it says, uh, Genesis 40 verse one. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and, and he attended them. 
After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him uh, in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? So we learned... So much, again, through these two guys, this cupbearer and the baker. First of all, we see something about Joseph's interaction with them. First of all, let's write this on on our outline sheet. He noticed their demeanor. We're talking about being observant. I make the most of every opportunity when I'm observant. He noticed their demeanor. He noticed their emotional response to what they were going through. Let's just strip it down. He noticed something was wrong and that they had some kind of need that was happening. That's what he noticed. And for us to make the most of every opportunity, y'all, we have to be the same way. When we're selfless, when we take off the char- on the character of God, when we become like Jesus, what did Jesus do? It's like Jesus' head was on a swivel. He noticed what was happening around him all over the place so that he could minister to people who are in need. And that's the same way we have to be. Joseph notices these guys are in need. He's become like God, right? He notices their need. And in noticing their need, he wants to do something about it. On your outline sheet, fill in this next statement. You say, when we notice needs, noticing the condition of others is an opportunity of service for us. I want you to get the story. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. Almost, right? So these two guys have dreams. Wow. Kind of ironic that a guy who can interpret dreams is in the same jail, right? Kind of ironic that he's there. No, it's not ironic that he's there. I've talked about ministry before and our call into ministry. And it was so helpful to me when a pastor that we were attending the church when I was really trying to figure out God's call, getting out of secular ministry in the business world to go on the ministry. I asked him, how do you know, how do you know you're called into ministry? He said, Tim, if you see the need, you know, God has given you the ability to meet that need and are passionate about it. That's what constitutes a call and ministry in your life. So let's put that into place with Joseph. He sees a need, right? He notices their demeanor. They're sad. They're downcast. Something's going on in their life. God has given him the ability to meet the need that they have. That is to interpret the dreams. He has the ability and he's passionate about it because Joseph wants them to know something. What does he want them to know? On your outline sheet, fill in this next statement. He wanted to help them know the truth. So he wants to interpret the dreams so that he can help these two guys discover the truth. The truth about God's purpose. The truth about what God wants for us. What is the truth? God wants every person to have a personal relationship with him a loving personal relationship with him. And God wants every person to rely on him to be their strength. That's what he wants for all of us. So now he's in a position where he gets to deliver them a message. Number four on your outline sheet, here it is. I make the most of every opportunity when I deliver God's message. There were two very distinct messages that Joseph gave. And they're distinct because one message went to one guy and another message went to another guy. 
In Genesis 40, verse 8, it says, We both had dreams. They answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, this is a key part of the verse, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. In other words, here's the deal. You had a dream, and the one who really can interpret the dreams is God. So I am here to help you hear what God wants to say to you. That's what he's saying to these guys. I am here to help you understand what God wants to say to you. And I'll just say that for every person in this room today. God has something that he wants to say to us. So what is it that he wants to say to us? Well, let me tell you the dreams. I'm not gonna read it, okay? Because it's quicker for me to tell it to you and I'm running out of time, I get it. So the cupbearer, the cupbearer has this dream. There's a, there's a vine, okay, that is growing and there are three branches that come out of the vine and these branches begin to blossom and they bear fruit, they bear grapes. He squeezes the grapes and he puts the grapes into a, a cup and he gives that cup to the Pharaoh. That's his dream. So then Joseph interprets the dream. Here's the interpretation. In three days, the three branches, in three days, you will be restored to your position with the king and you will be able to do what it was that you had done before. So he gives him the interpretation. So the baker's like, dude, that is a great interpretation. Interpret mine. So he said, in my dream, there were three baskets on my head. And in one of those baskets, there were baked goods. And animals were eating the baked goods out of the basket. So Joseph said, here's the interpretation of the dream. In three days, your head's going to be chopped up. And it's going to be chopped off. Your head's gonna be chopped off and the animals are gonna come and devour your body, which is gonna be on a pole. Wow. I would say those are two pretty different messages. So my big question is, why would God give one message to one person and another message to another person? Wondering minds wanna know. On your outline sheet, let's look at the first message. God gives the message of restoration. He gives it to the cupbearer to restore the cupbearer. Now, let's, let me just give you a little bit more info here about this or, or help us think about this in a, in a certain way. It's not that the cupbearer got arrested by mistake. It's like, oh, I did some investigation and found out you really didn't do what I thought you did. That's not the situation. The scripture says they both offended the king. In fact, I don't know that this is true. Y'all, I don't know what the offense was, and I don't know that what I'm about to say is true is true, but I, it's a possibility. They could have been co-conspirators co with each other doing something against the king. And the reason why I say that is because they both were arrested at the same time. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but we know they both were guilty of doing some kind of sin. Yet, this person is restored. Why would he be, be restored? The answer to that the obvious answer to the question is this, because he had a change of heart. He became remorseful for what he had done to the king. That he would, I would just assume, and we don't have all the facts of the story, but I would assume a conversation, something like this would take place. Like, I did this wrong. I know it was wrong. I'm sorry it was wrong. I did it for myself, and I know I hurt you when I did it, and I am brokenhearted over it, and I'm having a hard time getting over it because of it, because I don't want to do anything to hurt you. 
I don't ever want to do that to you ever again. Brokenheartedness, change of heart, restoration. Why? Y'all, this is huge. You ready for it? Because his love changed. Do you know how you know your heart has changed? And you really are sorry that you hurt somebody around you? You're brokenhearted because you hurt somebody else. You can't get over it. That's love for someone else. And that's the condition of this guy's heart. So he's restored. But there's another dude. Look at this message. God gives the message of judgment. He judges him. He cuts off his head. Actually, not only does he interpret the dream, but the scripture goes on, everything that Joseph said actually happened. These things actually happened to these two guys. He's just, why? I can just imagine what the conversation was like when he went to the king. Well, king, you don't really understand. It really wasn't my fault. Or I did it for this reason. Or just excuse after excuse after excuse. No brokenheartedness that had caused any problem to him at all. I would assume that's probably the way it was because there's no change in him. Why would I say this? Because God is a God of restoration. And when our heart changes, God forgives. That's his character. That's who he is. Which means for you and me, if our heart becomes broken and we go from self-centeredness to selflessness, realizing what we've done to God, that God loves us and he forgives us and he restores us. Same message that these two guys get are the same messages that we get today. For some people in this room, it's the message of restoration because you're brokenhearted because you know your sin and your selfishness. You feel, get, you feel convicted about it and are sorry for what you've done to God. And you want to be forgiven and you want to be in the family of God. You want to be restored in that family. That's you. But for some of you, possibly, you're still making excuses. You're still coming up with reasons why you don't need God. You're still coming up with reasons why it's okay to do selfish things. If it feels good, do it, right? It's okay to do this. It's okay to do that. When you don't realize what you're doing in your self-centeredness is a slap in the face of God who created you for one reason, to love on you and to lead you to be loving toward other people, to help those who are in need. In other words, oh, my soul. I love it when things come together to be kind, to be kind, to show that love toward other people. Here's the reality for all of us. All of us have the same problem. Paul said this in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us have the same problem. We're all selfish people who need forgiveness. Do I have a witness out there from anyone, right? We're not here to judge. All of us need forgiveness. Here's the other reality. There's a punishment that's paid when we do bad things. It's like in your house, if you did something against your parents. In my day, we had something called whoopings, right? In your day, for some of you, let's go to time out. Okay, but anyway, I have a bit of an attitude. All right, can you tell? I had to go through this. Oh, you sit in the corner, right? Whatever. There's punishment for sin, right? What is the punishment? 
Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's bad news in this and good news in this. The bad news is it's death. You say, Tim, why does something have to die for my sin? Why does the punishment have to be somebody has to die? It's because God created us not to be sinful people. He created us to experience life and not to be selfish, but to be selfless. But when we sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, physical death came into the world. And not only physical death, but spiritual death, because God can't be where selfishness is. We can't be where his spirit is together in that. Because of that, there's death. So the only way to do it is something has to die in my place. I mentioned this during the time that we had our... our, uh, Lord's Supper, about putting your hand on the animal and you would identify your sin with that animal and they would kill that animal, but then you'd go sin again and you'd have to come back next year and do the exact same thing. That animal died in the place of man's sin, but Jesus died on the cross for every one of our sins, past, present, and future. And it's like we go up to the foot of Jesus and put our hand on it. I, I know it's not literally, but it's figuratively that we put our hand on his, his foot and just say, Jesus, take my sins and take the punishment for my, for my sins. The wages of sin is death. What do we have to do? We have to realize we actually need that forgiveness. In fact, we read this in John, first John chapter one, if we claim to be without sin, We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sounds a lot like potentially the baker, right? But if we confess our sins, sounds like the cupbearer to me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's what he does if we acknowledge our sin. So what do we have to do? To accept what Jesus did, not only through his death, but through his resurrection. Y'all look at what it says. Paul said this, if we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Why is that important? Because Jesus not only died for our sins, but Jesus defeated Satan once and for all. The greatest thing that Satan can do to us is kill us. And when Jesus came back to life, Satan said... Uh Uh-oh. It's not in the Bible anywhere. It's Tim paraphrase again, all right? What do I do now? There's nothing that you can do now because our Savior has reigned over death and he brings us to life. How do we do it? We accept him. Y'all, we're not here again We're not here to condemn anyone because of their sin, no matter what your sin is. Y'all, this congregation probably represents most of the sins that there are. I mean, if we just wanted people to share, but I'm not gonna ask you to. We're all people who deserve judgment and we're not here to judge. Jesus didn't come to judge. John chapter three, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. Jesus didn't come to throw stones at people. Jesus didn't come to make people feel unloved. Jesus came to help people understand you have sin in your life and it's real. And I'm gonna acknowledge that sin in your life, but you know what? I love you anyway. And there's a path to eternal life. How? We believe. I'll let you read this one with me. How's that? John chapter three, verse 16. We're bringing it home, y'all. Where are 
Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We believe that Jesus lived a holy, perfect life of love. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment and the penalty for our sins. And we believe that being like Jesus is the way we're supposed to live our life. That's what we believe. So how do we do it? We pray. I'll read this one. It's the last one on your, screen, uh, your, your sheet. Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can't do enough bad things to keep God from loving you. Today, God wants to forgive you. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes right now. It might be that you're not a Christian. And today, God had a plan. God had good plans for you today. It's to be here. It's to hear this message from God's word. That I can be like the cupbearer who did something wrong and selfish, but felt bad and remorseful for the pain and agony caused to someone else and desire forgiveness because you need the relationship. Or you might be the baker. You're still making excuses and saying this God thing is not for me. Well, I believe that God is not finished with you. If, if you're the baker kind of person, I believe God's not finished with you. I think he's gonna keep doing things to help you understand that he's the path for your life and that you do need him. And our hope is that one day that you'll give your life to him. But it may be that some of you are the cup bearer today. You're ready. You know you need God. You've been running from it and you're sorry for who you've become as a selfish person and you want God in your life, you want a relationship with him and you want to be who he wants you to be. We do it through prayer. So I wanna ask you, if, you're, if this is you today, and if you wanna become a Christian, I wanna help you pray and talk to God. Just imagine God sitting on his throne or I tell you what, sitting next to you, that's even better. That God is right there with you. And I would encourage you to say these words to him just silently. You can just pray these prayers silently. Just repeat it after me with heartfelt words. You can pray this, dear God, I know you love me and I know I don't deserve it. I know I do things wrong. I know I'm selfish. I know that I've sinned. And I know that I've hurt you because I'm not the person that you created me to be and I'm sorry. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross and to be resurrected, to take the place of my sins, to be punished for what I've done. And right now, Jesus, I accept what you did for me. In your death and in your resurrection, and I make the commitment right now to follow you as the Lord and the leader of my life. Help me to be more like you.